Good morning, everyone. Good morning to those of you who are watching or who will be watching on uh, Facebook Live. This is part two of the sermon series that we started last week called Follow. Were you here last week? Yes. Yes, okay. So uh, let me give you a little little bit of a quiz. Um, Tell me, what does the word disciple mean? Yeah, disciple is a follower. Disciple is a student. Disciple is a learner. And uh, we talked about what that really means and what is a Christian? What does that really mean? Is that like something you wear around your neck? Is that like your, your political persuasion? Like what does that really, really mean? Pardon? Someone of faith, yeah, yeah. Well, we talked more along, along those lines. So you can, you can watch it or listen to it. Again, we post all of our stuff on our Facebook page and um, uh, also on our uh, uh, website, citypointchurch.ca. A little bit of feedback, Simon, thank you. And um, yeah, so you can always catch up. So, but we tried to get away from the idea that Christianity is a religion in the sense of, if you define religion as, clean yourself up, fix yourself up, and now you can be a Christian. Uh, It's kind of the reverse. It's you come to Christ and he will start the process, the lifetime process really, of cleaning you up and fixing you up. So if you're an unbeliever, if you're a doubter, if you're a sinner, those are all good prerequisites to becoming a follower of Jesus. And if you really inspect the New Testament, you're going to see that the people who followed Jesus were doubters and sinners and all, all kinds of problems in their lives. And yet when he comes into their life, they, into their lives, their lives start to be changed and transformed, you see? And that's what's long-lasting. Religion will only get you so far. And you try and do all these things and all these things to impress others or to impress God. And ultimately, you come up short. And if you didn't uh, get the, the message by text, uh, the, the ad for this series has generated a, woo, a whole bunch of flack from really three or four different people. Uh, we've got an atheist, a nihilist, and a Satanist uh, who were commenting on the ad. And I was back and forth with these gentlemen. Uh, some of them may be watching right now. So again, I'll be very, very respectful. But I actually read the seven tenets of modern Satanism uh, in, the, in the service last week. So anyway, you can catch up and you can watch uh, online with all that. So I want to answer a question today uh, about the church. Why the church in the 21st century? I mean, why do we need to... It seems like we've evolved a little bit. No, aren't we a little bit smarter Like, why do we need to come to church and kind of, what's the point? I mean, especially with all these gadgets and all the electronics and all the stuff that we have. I mean, all you have to do is go online and you can, you can do church online, can't you? I mean, you can listen to some preacher online, certainly a better preacher than me. You could find somewhere in the world, right? Like, what do we need to do all this for anyway? It seems like a really archaic kind of legacy idea that we're just trying to prop up and keep going for some strange reason, you know? And if you look at the news and you look at the, the reports uh, from, you know, all the, all the major networks and so on, and even from, from Christian sources, what you see, especially in North America, is that church attendance is not what it used to be. Uh, what we see is that about 80%, if you listen to all the statistics, 80% of churches in North America are either flatlined or in decline, at least numerically. 
um, and that 20% of people who are attending a church in a given year are going to leave. So they're going to leave the church and go who knows where. And so there's all kinds of buzz today about, wow, you know, it seems like Christianity is dying and the church is dying, especially in North America, if you listen to all the things that you hear in the news. So I want to try and answer the question in that context, why the church in the 21st century and four reasons that you need to be a part of a church. And I'm going to... Uh, I'm going to take advantage of the fact that you're in my church today and I'll give you four reasons why you should be a part of this church. <laughs> and at the end of this message, I'm actually going to give you a challenge, uh, an ironclad challenge uh, that I'll call the membership challenge. And I'm going to challenge you to actually become members of this particular church. But the question four, four reasons why you need to be part of a church. This is out of the book of Hebrews in the Bible's New Testament. Just going to read three verses there, uh, chapter 10. So the book of Hebrews, while you try and find that, and if you're brand new to the Bible, free app called YouVersion, Y-O-U version that you can get online, Apple, uh, Android platform, whatever any version, any language, all for free. Uh, the, the thing that I love about version is that it actually gives you an introduction to each book, a video-based introduction. How do you read this book of the Bible? What does it mean? Who's the author? Who's he writing to? All that stuff is now available, <coughs> and this is all free for you. Um, so if you're new to the Bible, you don't have to be a stranger to the Bible. You can actually discover it for yourself. So Book of Hebrews is a, a letter written uh, probably by Paul, but we don't know for sure. Maybe Barnabas, one of his friends, where we don't know for sure. The author doesn't identify himself, but he is writing to a group of Hebrew believers in Jesus. So these, this is in the first century. These people are Jewish and they are followers of Jesus at the same time. Some people would call that a contradiction. Uh, the Bible does not, however, and so the author of this letter is trying to challenge these Hebrew believers, trying to tell them all the law and everything that you learned in the Old Covenant. This is, this is pointing the way to Jesus, but it is inferior to Jesus. And what you have in Jesus is the fulfillment of everything. What you have in Jesus is superior to any angelic beings, uh, superior to any law that we see in the Old Testament. He's, and he's arguing uh, the point that all is fulfilled in Christ. And he's trying to challenge these Hebrew believers to keep going, to keep serving Jesus in spite of whatever persecution and so on would, become, would come their way. And so in chapter 10, he's winding up the letter. It's got three more chapters after this, but he's kind of in the closing thoughts. So let me give you um, some verses here, just three of them. Um, so uh, verse 23 of chapter 10. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. We sang about hope this morning. Let us hold unswervingly to that hope. For he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. Clearly in the 21st century, this is very relevant. And uh, uh, let us encourage one another. 
and all the more as you see the day approaching. Okay, so four reasons why you need to be a part of a church. Number one, because of relationships. So spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Encourage one another. You see that little phrase, one another? When you have one another and you have many of those one another's in the New Testament, there's like 25 of them. If you do a little survey of the New Testament, you're going to see that. There's something implicit there. And the idea is that these people knew each other and that they had a common ground. And he's, so he's challenging them on that common ground of relationship around Christ. And he's saying, you, you've got to spur one another on. You've got to encourage one another. Why? Because you are in relationship with one another. And this is a powerful reason why everyone should be part of a church. Because that is the community of faith where you have healthy relationships that can form and where people can speak into one another's lives and be a part of one another's lives. You know, it's amazing today how we have all the electronic devices. I mean, I can pick up a supercomputer in my pocket and communicate with someone, anyone in the entire world in an instant. In fact, technically, uh, this video that's, that's, that's running right now, I mean, if, if I was popular, which I'm not, could be viewed by tens of thousands of people. I mean, it's amazing the communication that we now have. And yet, we are lonelier than ever. Lonelier than ever, more depressed than ever before, more hopeless than ever before, more skeptical than ever before, more isolated than ever before, and yet we have the opportunity with all these gadgets, at least we thought, to have better relationships. But it seems like it hasn't helped at all. It just helps us with communication. But communication isn't necessarily relationship. Like I can communicate with someone and not be in a relationship with them. When you're in a relationship with someone, you start to know that person and have a connection with that person on some type of affinity, some type of common ground. And that's very, very powerful. It is a basic human, it's a need of, of humanity. I'm fascinated watching um, the, the, the news about the whole uh, uh, coronavirus. Are you watching all of this? You know, and people around the world are in an absolute panic. Uh, and there's all kinds of misinformation being spread about this virus and all kinds of things happening. It's in the news every second. And I'm fascinated watching some of the quarantining going on uh, on cruise ships. There's some cruise ships where they're quarantining the passengers, telling them to stay in their room for two weeks. To, so that the, the period of, what do they call it, incubation is two weeks, I think, for this virus. It's a, it's a what do they call it, a novel coronavirus attacks the lungs. So um, it's fascinating seeing these people interviewed because they're going crazy. They're stuck in their, in their luxury room on a, on a cruise ship. And they're going bananas because they, why? They can't be around anybody. They can't be outside. They got to isolate themselves. And we were not designed to isolate ourselves. We're designed to have relationship with one another. And this is a powerful reason 
to be part of a church. Number two, authenticity. Let us hold to the faith that we, that, we, that we are centered on. Let us encourage one another. This type of verbiage you see in the passage. Okay, so if you need to be encouraged, it would imply that you lack courage. If you need to hold on to the faith, it would imply that at times you're, you're tempted to let it go. And you need somebody else around you to say, come on now, we can keep doing this, you can keep going, you can, you can face tomorrow, you can face the difficult moment, you can face the dark moment, you can face the doctor's diagnosis, you can look into your, your bank account and you can still do it because Christ is with you. And, but you have to be honest enough I mean, even to have that passage written, it would imply that people were being authentic with one another. It would imply that someone was saying, I need courage. It would imply that someone was saying, I need to hold on. I need hope. You see, and in the church, when you have that type of authenticity and the relationships aren't cheap and they aren't phony and they aren't fluff, but they're authentic, then my friends, you have something really, really powerful on your hands. You have something that, wow, I mean, when someone takes the hand of someone else as they look into whatever storm has come their way and someone else is with them and that someone else is with them because of God, not just because of, you know, they both have a, they both like a certain sport, <laughs> but because of God, then they can encourage one another and speak into one another's lives and hold on when, when the turbulent things come in life, you see. And when you have that type of authenticity, you have something very, very powerful. But you don't have that if you say, well, you know, I don't really need to be part of a church. I can just stay home. I mean, uh, th this morning uh, in, the, in the prayer meeting, it was interesting. Uh, Emmanuel uh, brought up a little passage of scripture from the Psalms. Some of you know this if you've been in, any, in church for any length of time. There's a... There's a psalm there, I think it's Psalm 73. And uh, in Psalm 73, it's the echo of every, every uh, uh, Christ follower, I think, has said the same thing. And the, the writer there, I think it's David, he, he looks and he starts to become envious of the ungodly. And he says, uh, uh, they prosper. They're doing very, very well in life, all these ungodly people. So what am I doing? I must be a fool. I mean, I'm trying to live a clean life. I'm trying to serve God. And all these people are prospering. They're doing better in life than me. They've got more stuff. They're healthier. They're wealthier. They're wiser. They're whatever. They're prospering. And I'm not. And I'm the one who's, who's supposed to be serving God. What a fool I must be. And so he, he reasons to himself. And he kind of argues with God a little bit in the psalm. Then he comes to the conclusion. His perspective changes when he goes to the temple to worship God. So he, he intentionally goes and worships God in the temple. He says, oh, now I get it. Now my perspective has changed. Well, we have it even better than that. We, we are the temple of God. I mean, the community of faith is the temple of God. So when we come and we gather together, it'll change your perspective, especially if you start developing relationships and especially if those relationships are real and are authentic. And I have seen in, the, in church life both kinds. I've seen relationships that are fluff 
and I've seen relationships that are authentic. Let me tell you and, and listen to me very, very closely. The quality of your personal discipleship, the quality of your personal relationship with Jesus, not talking about all of the religious stuff. I'm talking about the quality of your personal discipleship. That will, that will show itself in the quality of your relationships. If your relationships are fluff and the first conflict that you have with somebody, you leave or you run away or you don't address the conflict or you start talking about the person behind their back, that reveals a low quality of discipleship. But when you're able to say, no, this is an authentic, real relationship. And if we have conflict, we solve the conflict. We don't just throw up our hands up in the air and say, well, I'm leaving. I'm going to somewhere else. I'm leaving the church or I'm leaving this or I've been hurt or I've been. Well, that, that reveals a low quality of discipleship. When you say, no, this, this, this is an authentic thing. I mean, how many of you are married in this room? How many of you have ever, ever, ever had just one conflict with your spouse? Just one. Put up your hand. Okay, I can put up my hands, wave them, wave my feet, do cartwheels. Okay, like I know how to have conflict with my spouse. Okay, I, I'm real good at, at, at having conflict. Resolving the conflict is, a, is another thing though, right? And you have to learn skills in how to resolve conflict. But when you, when you have an authentic relationship, you say, well, Yes, we'll fix it. Yes, we'll resolve it because it's real. It's not fluff. Let us hold on. Let us be honest with one another. Let us encourage one another to encourage. Well, it means sometimes I don't have courage. Let me hold on because sometimes I don't want to hold on. Number three, encouragement. It's obvious in the text. You, it, it is so easy to be discouraged if you are trying to follow Jesus. I mean, it's not like the culture around you is encouraging you. I mean, if anything, the culture around you is discouraging you from following God or following Jesus. I mean, the most popular religious view in North America right now, the fastest growing religious worldview in North America is no worldview. It's the, it's the rise of the nuns. It's the, you know, you tell me what religion you are. There's a box here. It says this religion, this religion. At the bottom, it says none. That's the one that I check. That is the fastest growing religious worldview today, is none. No thank you, I tried it, it failed me, not interested, not interested in your God, not interested in your Santa Claus fairy tales and your Jesus who's supposed to walk on water and all this other nonsense. Just read some of the comments from the atheists and Satanists and nihilists on the ad for this, this series that we're doing. That is the fastest growing religious worldview in our continent today. So it's not like you're being encouraged. Oh yeah, you need to come worship God and worship Jesus. I mean, you're not going to get that anywhere. The only, the only community that's going to encourage you to do that is the community of faith, the church. And we all need encouragement. There's times it's so easy in this life to become discouraged. Wow. And hopeless. It is so easy. I mean... Everyone and everything at one point in a, or another is going to let us down. And it just, it just sucks the courage right out of your soul. That's why when you come and you gather with others, you can be encouraged. It's a great reason to be part of the church. And he slips this in. As you see the day approaching. 
And the day, in the author's mind, is the day of the re return of Jesus to clean up this world once and for all, to bring ultimate justice once and for all, to put an end to the problem of suffering and evil and sin once and for all. And he's saying you've got to encourage one another because that day is going to come. Don't give up, don't give up, don't give up. And the last reason to be part of a church accountability. So let us not give up meeting together. When you're part of a church and even go a step further and say, I will be a member of this church because the two are different, right? So sometimes people will, they'll experiment with the church a little bit. They'll, they'll, they'll be there. They'll maybe be part of something a little bit, but they don't want to go too, too deep. They don't want to commit themselves just yet because they're still testing the waters, whatever, whatever. And so that layer of accountability isn't exactly there yet. When a person says, I will actually become a member of a church, what that does is that puts accountability in place. And that is a spiritual discipline in your life is to be accountable. So I could have opened up a church and, uh, you know, and not been accountable. I could have said, well, I'm opening up a church. It's an independent church. It's not accountable to anybody. I could have found a way to do, you know, weddings and all of that and say, well, yeah, and I'm a pastor and all this. And here's my church. Why don't you come? Um, I don't do that because I believe in accountability and that's a spiritual discipline. So I'm part of the Pentecostal Assemblies of Canada, which is like 1300 churches across the nation and about 3500 credential holders and 70 plus global workers. And it's a big family of accountability. So I'm accountable and I choose to do that because it's good for me. And when you, when you say, yeah, this is not only the, the place where I come on Sunday mornings, but this, this, is, this is where I identify myself as a believer, that brings up accountability. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. When you're accountable to somebody else and you don't show up or you, you, know, you, you vanish, what happens when you're accountable? Hey, where are you? How's it going? What's happening in your life? Like, where'd you go? You know, and some of you know that, that I do that. The church is still small enough that I can do that. I know everybody's name. And if I don't see you for two or three weeks, guess what happens? Some of you know. Tell me. Yeah, you get a call, you get a text, you get a, hey, what's up? You get, a, you get something from me because, I, again, I can still do that at this, at this size. That's because I'm trying to hold you accountable right and so these are powerful powerful reasons to be a part of a church so what I'm going to do to to finish today is I am going to challenge you and I'm going to read you a word for word out of our membership covenant that's a piece of paper that you sign to become a member of this church in this church you don't have to go through a 10-week class in this church, you don't have to be baptized in water to be a member. Uh, there's not a lot of rigmarole and a whole, whole lot of rules and regulations. We're still a new church, and I try not to put in all these layers of mumbo-jumbo before you can actually commit to something like membership. Membership is very, very simple. You say, this, I identify this is my church. 
Doesn't mean you're a theologian. Doesn't mean you've got everything all together. Doesn't mean you know everything. It's that you're saying, okay, I'm a believer. That makes me part of the family of God around the world, worldwide. Billions of believers worldwide. But I identify myself in one particular local church. And that's the church where, where I invest in. That's the church where I, my time, my talent, my treasure, my abilities, my gifts. That's, that's where I choose to be a part. And so for membership, all I do is I tell people you need to listen to my teaching on membership. I did the same thing here last year. And then you need to take the little piece of paper and sign it. I give you uh, articles and bylaws. We have to do that by the laws of this land. We're a real church. We're really accountable to the laws of this land, not just in my own little naive mind, but we are actually accountable. And uh, Revenue Canada and Revenue Quebec, etc. they say, yeah, you're a real church. So we have articles and bylaws and so on. So we give you those. You sign on the thing and you're a member and there's there's many of you who are but I'd like to see many more of you say yeah I will take that challenge in particular because of these four reasons so I'm going to read these to you as we finish up today and at the end of the service if you're interested I have all the stuff on the table I've got membership covenants there I've got articles and bylaws and all that other fun stuff but you have it all there and so I'm going to throw the challenge out to you number one I will be a functioning church member by discovering my gifts by getting involved by giving regularly functioning so sometimes in in uh, churches people are members but they don't do anything <laughs> their name is on a little membership roll as if it's some kind of country club or some kind of golf club but they're not involved they're not doing anything no I will be a functioning I actually do something in this community of faith number two I will be a unifying church member by acting in love by refusing to gossip by following the leaders you can see the little passages of scripture there they're all on the sheet when you go and look at it you can see it there so by acting in love right so I will show Christian love to somebody else maybe I don't really like them so much but when I act in love I rise above that I may not like their personality but I rise above that because I'm showing real biblical Christian love by refusing to gossip by following the leaders again you test the quality of your discipleship when you're in a church and you're challenged about unity you're challenged about whether or not you will keep unity in the church and unity means not that everybody thinks the same thing and everybody looks the same and everyone dresses the same and everyone smells the same that's not what unity is unity is that we learn to agree with one another even when we disagree we learn to support one another even when we don't necessarily feel like it because we believe that together we're stronger and so we say we preserve unity in, in this community of faith. And the quality of your discipleship will be tested in this particular area. When I was in a, a, a very large church, a multi-staff church, I had a number of interesting experiences that, that brought this to light. So I can remember when I was elected to be on the board of, of that particular church, large church. At that time, it was probably 800 people. And uh, I can remember it didn't take too long before there were people in the, in the church who would come up to me 
and start to gossip about the pastor or about the church or about the pastor's wife or the pastor's kids or the pastor's dog or the pastor's cat or the color of the carpet or where the piano was or the curtains or the air conditioner or the heat or the musical selection, da, 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 da. I mean, every little last thing and they come and Hey, what do you think of this? What do you think of this? This is terrible, isn't it? This is terrible, isn't it? And I was put into a position where am I going to agree with this person? They're throwing my lead pastor under the bus. Am I going to agree with them and say, yeah, you're right. That's where your unity is tested, right? And then eventually I I got hired on that church as a a pastor. full-time pastor, barely any education. I had to do all the education myself, which I eventually got done. Took me 16 years, but that's another story. And so I was a pastor in the church and an assistant in the church. And Gavin, one day, that's going to be you. So you listen up. So, So I was a pastor in the church. And you know what happened? The people would come up to me still and say, hey, pastor, you're, you're a better preacher than the pastor is. You know, look at the way that he dresses. Look at his wife, look at their children, look at their dog, look at their cat, look at the color of the carpet, look at the music, listen to this, isn't this terrible, pastor? What's going on in our church, pastor? And right there, I had to make a choice, right? Am I going to be united? Am I going to listen to that stuff? Or am I going to say, no, 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 you stop talking to me. Go home and pray about your problems. And go home and pray about yourself while you're at it. Because the quality of your discipleship is it's low. <laughs> it's low there. Because you're criticizing and you're disrupting the unity of the church. It doesn't matter if I like the pastor or I don't like the pastor. I choose to be united, you see. And that's what unity is. You say, hey, this is like a big team here. This is like a big family here. And so, no, I don't participate in gossip. And no, I follow the leaders. So, you know, your criticism, go, go and take your criticism to God. And while you're at it, pray about your own life. Just saying. So, I will be a unifying church, church member. Uh, I will not let the church be about my preferences and desires by following the example of Jesus. The text there is how Jesus, being in very nature God, did not consider himself equal to God, and he, he humbled himself. We call it the kenosis. Even though his nature is deity, he empties himself of his deity and of some of the prerogatives of deity, and he humbles himself and appears as a man and dies on a cross and so on. And so we'll, because of this, because of this example, we say, well, no, the church is not about my preferences and desires. So while I don't like the fact that the pastor wears his hair this way, I mean, I've been criticized about the way I speak, the way I look, the way I dress, my tone of voice, every little last thing you can imagine I've been criticized on. Some of the most amusing stuff. I've heard pastors criticize, again, their dog, their cat, their children, look at, I, heard, I remember one criticism, look at the blonde hair on all these kids. Ugh. Wow, amazing. So what, what's your preference and desire? What color hair do you want the pastor's children to have? I remember one pastor, he had no hair. He got criticized because he had no hair. Not even his fault that he had no hair. Remember one pastor, his hair got gray while he pastored. Criticize him because his hair got gray. Well, why'd you pick this music? Why'd you pick this? Why'd you pick? Why is the color of the carpet this way? Why is the air conditioning this way? Why is the heat this way? What are we doing with these screens? Where'd the hymn books go? Blah, 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 blah. On and on and on. You know what you call that? Preference and desire. How could they say that to this person? How could they talk to my kid that way? How could they do that? You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to withhold my tithe. Ha ha. Then I'll get my preference and my desire. 
Or I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stir up the pot. I'm going to form a little group, a little posse, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk it up, and I'm going to get a movement going that's going to protest, you know, whatever I think it should be happening in the church. I'm going to protest. Ugh, low quality of discipleship. Low qual- I will not let the church be about my preferences and desires. It's about everybody. It's not about me. And you know what happens to people who sometimes behave like this? they get replaced real fast when they leave. So they tend to leave, especially when their preferences and desires aren't met, and then immediately God replaces them. Because nobody is irreplaceable, and I'll just say it just just so you know, neither am I. (laughs) Because the church is not about me, the church is not about you as an individual, the church is about everybody. And guess whose church it is? Not mine, not yours, Guess guess whose church it is? His name starts with J. Yeah, it's Jesus' church. Ultimately, it's his. He's the one who, he's the one who, but but you're, you're, I get what you're saying, and, and there's some truth there too. But ultimately, at the end of the day, it belongs to guess who? Jesus. And he builds it, and he's the builder, and it isn't about any one particular individual and their mighty preferences and their mighty desires. I will pray for my church leaders by remembering that they watch over my soul and that they are subject to temptation. I've got news for you. Your pastor is subject to lots of temptation. Aren't you? Yeah. So you know what you need to do? You need to pray for your pastor. Because your pastor, your pastor and, your, and your whole pastor's family, you know what we have? We have a target on our back because we were crazy enough to plant a church in a movie theater in the province of Quebec in the English language to reach lost people. You know what happens there? You get a target on your back. <laughs> you, you, yeah, you, and you know what your pastor needs and really what everybody needs in the church? You need prayer. You need prayer because temptation is strong. And remember your leaders, they watch over your soul. Your leaders pray for you. Uh, your, leaders, your leaders go the extra mile for you. I mean, I was, I was at a, a band rehearsal, this, this band that, that was playing this morning. And get ready at the end. We'll call you back at the end, guys. And uh, was at the band rehearsal. Wow. I saw all these things being played out right in front of my eyes, you know. Wow. You know, there's, there, uh, there's relationships. There's authenticity. There's encouragement. There's accountability. All these things are, are happening here. And these people are getting stronger against temptation because they're forming authentic relationships with one another. All different kinds of people. All different kinds of backgrounds. Wow. Isn't that cool? But everybody's subject to temptation. And your pastor watches over your souls. Messaging with a, with a gentleman in this church early in the morning, a couple of mornings ago. And I, said, I just told him, I said, I just want you to know I just prayed for you. I just prayed for you because I watch over your soul. And you don't know what, <laughs> I mean, unless you've ever pastored, you don't know the burden that pastors carry for the soul of the congregation. So you pray for your pastor. You pray for your pastor's family because they, we have a target on our back. I will lead my family to be... Uh, healthy church members by recognizing that God wants my family to experience him. I find an amusing thing, not amusing, strange thing in the province of Quebec. The people, uh, uh, you know, one family member goes to church and the other one doesn't. Sometimes I even see one family member goes to one church and the other one goes to another church. (laughs) Wow, 
<laughs> wow, that's really, really interesting. Like, well, how did that happen? What's the story there? And I'm not saying that it's always a, a terrible thing and a horrendous thing. It's just a bit unusual if you look into the pages of the New Testament. Because if you see in the New Testament, God wants the whole family. He doesn't just want one. He wants everybody. And the story that's quoted there is a story of a, of a, a, a jail guard, uh, uh, the Philippian jailer. And it, God didn't just want him. He wanted his whole, his whole household. So I will lead my family to be healthy church members. It's not for just me. And I will treasure, this is the last one, I will treasure uh, uh, a church membership as a gift. So it's, it's, um, it, it's a privilege rather than a right. You see, if you're a member of a golf club or if you're a member of a gym or you're a member of whatever a club, then you, you, know, you pay your dues and you get your way and, and it's your right to get your way. When you're a member of a church, it's the reverse. It's the absolute reverse. You say, this is a gift. This is not my right because God called me to himself by his grace. He gave me something that I did not deserve. And now I actually get to identify myself as being part of a church by grace. That means God gave it to you. You didn't deserve it by his mercy, meaning God withheld from you what you did deserve. So you treasure that as a gift, not a right. And I've seen people treat church membership as this is their right. Hey, this is my church and this is my right and I pay my dues and I get involved and I do this. So this is the way that it's going to be because I'm a church member. There's a low quality of discipleship there. Better to say, you know what? I'm here to serve. I'm here to serve. What do you need? I'm here to serve. Tell me, what can I do to be of service? Because this is a gift. This I did not deserve. It has been given to me by God himself. Greatest example is Jesus Right? What does Jesus do before he faces an execution on a Roman cross? He takes off his outer robe, he bends down low, and he washes the feet of the people who follow him. He gets down low and washes their dirty first century feet. The doubter, the loudmouth, these people, he's washing their feet. This is an example of service not entitlement and when people understand being part of a church as that way they grow fast really really fast I remember in my own personal experience I, I mean when I first became a Christian I just wanted to be involved in everything I just wanted to, whatever you need, what, some, some dude would ask me, would you do this? Would you sweep the floor? Yes. Would you press this button on this machine? Yes. Would you teach this group? Yes. Whatever you need. What, I got so busy, I had to learn to say no. I actually felt guilty saying no because I was so thrilled that God gave me this gift of salvation and I actually got to experience it in a church. And back in those days, to become a member of the church, you had to be perfect. <laughs> you had to take the 15-week class. You had to fill out the quiz. You had to know good theology. You had to read, like you had to know all these rules and regulations and all that other just, I mean, it was really off the wall back at that time. And so I said, no problem, I'll do all of that. Because I got the bigger picture is, no, this is a gift. 
this is a gift. They have their rules and their blah, blah, blah. That's fine. I can do all their rules. It's easy stuff for me. But the gift is God has given me a gift. Oh, so God took a sinner like me and said, I want you to be a follower of Jesus. And I want you to identify yourself in a local church. And I said, wow, that's, a, that's an amazing thing. Like, God, you're interested in me to, 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 to do that? Like, look at, look at these people. These people are perfect. Look at these people. These people grew up in church. These people, they're born in this seat. I mean, they've got all the jargon and all this. God said, no, 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 no. I called you to myself by grace. It's a gift. So serve. So yes, 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 I'll do whatever, whatever, whatever. And look where I ended up. Oh, boy. <laughs> but that, that's what happens. You grow so fast when you, when you understand why the church in the 21st century. It is more powerful than ever before. I would challenge you. You are not going to find the level of relationships, community, accountability, encouragement. You are not going to find that in a sustained fashion for the rest of your life anywhere but the local church. You're not going to find it anywhere. And I know that's a very, very bold statement, but I have confidence in this statement because Jesus himself is the builder of the church. I think he knows what he's doing. It's lasted 2,000 years, I think he knows what he's doing. So I don't know where you're at. Maybe you're, maybe you're like, wow, this is really, really blunt, really too strong, too challenging, whatever. If it is, it is. If it's not, it's not. But wow, I, 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 I cannot think of any other organization that you can be a part of that can accomplish these things. You know, studies have been done with people who are, are part of a community of faith at, versus people who are not. And they do studies on folks like this and they tend to work interestingly enough across the religious spectrum. And that's a subject for another day. But when people come together and they come together across the banner of faith, some type of faith, again, it doesn't always, the statistics don't always say what the faith is, but the studies show that people are healthier, they're happier, they live longer, they're less subject to depression and hopelessness and these kinds of things. And they analyze it and they say, you know why? These people have a community of faith. It does something very, very tangible in their life that we can actually measure versus the people who say, I don't have that. I do not have that in my life. So wherever you are at, you need it. And maybe you say, okay, I, I'm at the place where I can come and I can be a part of things and I can start to develop consistency and I can start to learn, but membership is a little too much for me right now. And I don't know if I'm willing to sign on that piece of paper. That is fine. Maybe you're, though, you're at the place where you say, no, I need to be challenged. I need to be challenged, especially in the way of accountability. I need to work on that spiritual discipline of accountability in particular. So it's not just, well, you know, this is where I come and all that, and I'm sort of testing the waters. Now I'm done testing, and now I want to be a part 
in a formal sense and say, yeah, I'm willing to actually sign it. Okay, I'll close with this illustration. If the band wants to come up to the stage and you guys can start to play in the background, hopefully we don't have too much, too much feedback there. I'm sure the guys on the board have figured it out by now. But um, uh, let me give you a little illustration. And it's very, very relevant to the province of Quebec. And we'll stop the stream just, just after this illustration, okay? I just want the people on Facebook to see it. So in the province of Quebec, there's, uh, there's a, a very known fact that people, couples, resist marriage. So it's like more than 50% of couples in the province of Quebec choose deliberately not to marry. So they may be living together, etc., but they choose de very deliberately not to get married. And, uh, and in some ways I agree with them because um, some of that, that uh, posturing has to do with uh, history and the stance that they have against the, 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 the church that they may have grown up with. In particular, I'll, I'll say it because we're in Quebec, in particular the Roman Catholic Church, which, I mean, I work with people who grew up in that and wow, they have some pretty, pretty strong words because of the control and the legalism and all these things that they experienced as children growing up and they say, no way. And they throw their fist in the air and they say, no way, I'm against religion, I'm against the organized church, I'm against all of it, because when I was a child, this is the way that it was, and this was the control that the church had over my family's life and my life. And by the way, I don't need to get married, I love the person, the person loves me, and God knows we love each other, so we don't need that, we don't need that piece of paper. And a lot of couples have that particular posture. And I completely understand that posture. But when you do take the piece of paper and you do sign the piece of paper, I'll tell you what changes your accountability changes. Because now it's a lot harder to get out. <laughs> now if the relationship gets rocky, it's a lot harder to break it because you made yourself accountable. You made yourself accountable in the eyes of the law. And so it's very, very different when you put that ring on your finger and you sign on that piece of paper. It's like, oh boy, now I've got myself into a place where if there's problems, it's going to be a lot harder to get out. I am more accountable now. And church membership, in a, in a more formal sense, is a bit like that. Where you say, okay, now that personal discipline of accountability I'm willing to take. So wherever you're at, I just want to be sure that you're actually moving forward. For some of you, it's I'm moving forward to test the waters a little bit more. Perfect, great, keep testing. For some of you, you say, I've tested the waters and this is the church community that I actually want to identify myself with. That's membership and you have stuff in the foyer that will tell you about that. And for some of you, you're already there, but this is more of a reminder to you and more of a challenge to you of what you need to work on in your own personal character. Wherever you're at, I would like to pray for you before the band closes. If you would stand with me, please.